When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Saturday, February 29th. Throw on your bloody black tie best and join Dark Hills Gaming for a night of dancing, drinking, and horror. All in the name of charity. Proceeds from the Bloody Valentine Ball will go to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. The ball will be a gore-filled gala that will immerse you in a horror-themed high school dance, complete with prom pictures, interactive events, and a horror memorabilia auction. Two lucky guests will be voted Horror King and Queen, complete with full carry treatment. There will be a bloody bar, so bring cash and your ID. This is a 21-plus only event. Buy your ticket now at darkhillsgaming.com and help us support the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So when we announced that we were doing a musical month, you guys had to have known that eventually we were going to talk about Little Shop, Little, little Shop of Horrors, Little Shop, Little, little Shop of Terror. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan is the fucking guy that is the only poorly 80-yard person in this. <laughs> the bum on the steps in uh, the downtown song was like... No, no, <laughs> yeah, that's that's the characters I play like in a goofy movie. I'm like the homeless dog or the corpse. <laughs> but man, I mean, you brought it up and it's honestly my first note because a lot of my notes are based around songs. But Skid Row is such a banger of a song. Like, I fucking love that song. You're getting way too early into downtown. But man, we got to talk about the theme. We got to talk about so much before that. This album i i listen to this album a lot believe it or not it's 
totally different voices for like half the songs yeah. that made it to the movie. But <laughs> it's it's very weird because in all honesty, like the first half of the soundtrack is all hits, and then the the second half isn't as catchy. But when you're watching it. Like when it when you when you're when you're watching the movie, it's just hit after hit. Like like I love every song throughout it when I'm watching it, but the second half of the soundtrack for some reason I just never want to listen to. Where's the second half? I stop listening usually after some fun now. I think what? that's the name of the song. Yeah. What? Dude, you're, you're, you're missing suddenly so- Seymour? Like- yeah. Oh, take a lap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the thing, is that suddenly Seymour is the least entertaining song on the, the oh soundtrack. i i strongly disagree i, think I know you, do, you guys you are forgetting sap. The, you you're forgetting about the the existence of what i think is the worst song in the movie and it's the only song that was nominated for any awards in its mean green mother from outer space no that is not the worst song the worst song is and you're gonna piss your pants in anger uh the meek shall inherit i know you so, love it. i know you love it but it's not i agree because they cut out Seymour's verse, and that's right. the, the highlight of that song, and it's not in the movie, and it's very upsetting to me, because that is the best part, is like, there's a point in the song where it's just a minute and a half of what that song's supposed to be about, which is Seymour having this identity crisis on what should he do about everything, and they just removed it from the movie because they thought it was boring, but it's the only reason to have that fucking song in the movie. <laughs> yeah. But even, like, Feed Me... I listening to it as just a song the 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 ending is great the ending is yeah. great because I love taking back Sunday and anytime I have <laughs> anytime I have two people singing at the same time I'm happy <laughs> but the first part's just like it's not bad it's just not something that I would casually listen to like I'm not going to argue with Matt who listens to Hocus Pocus by ICP on his way to church you know like <laughs> We have different standards for what's a good car soundtrack. <laughs> Dude, I just, I think for me in musicals, I always lean towards the big like show-stopping ballad and just like suddenly Seymour to me is one of the best show-stopping ballads of all time. Like, Who are we talking so to here? Because I'm pretty sure that we've had conversations many times where we're like, oh, the fucking ballads, it's time to take a nap. No, well, the ballads in like, hair metal records absolutely no, but the ballads no, in musicals We've, do you know <laughs> how many albums came out that were just ballads for hair metal <laughs> yeah power ball i saw the commercials that's how i know damn yankees high enough <laughs> like, <laughs> wow that's a name i haven't heard in a long time <laughs> uh them and the other one that i remember from those commercials is firehouse don't treat me bad oh shit firehouse <laughs> that's so fucking rules <laughs> what's your what's your what's your top three favorite ozzy osbourne songs <laughs> answer it i know <laughs> you Probably know mama coming home right mama yeah. coming home sin and dreamer <laughs> okay okay that's all i needed <laughs> ballads are great we are not going to talk about Ozzy. we're going to talk about my pick little shop of horrors <laughs> matt ask me why i picked little shop of horrors <laughs> okay five minutes into the recording scott why did you pick the movie that we have barely talked about yet well there's no reason to even ask or answer the question because look at me of course i love this movie i will say um we were talking about so like while we were talking about songs that we disliked something that changed for me was like i used to watch this movie when i was like eight 
And two of my least favorite songs are probably among my favorites now, which I used to hate Grow For Me and Somewhere That's Green, and now I'm all about this. Grow For Me is really good. That's really catchy. That's yeah. the song that I always have wanted to do at karaoke. <laughs> we need listen i've got some broadway songs that i also want to do at karaoke so we need to I see know like what a sh- you wanted no we you- need to find a show tunes karaoke night somewhere and live out both of our dreams no because i don't want you to do the fucking oogie boogie song no 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 not that one i would do michael in the bathroom from be more chill oh well you can't do anything from be more chill because no one's gonna know it you might as well do something from the apple which if you want to hear our review of the apple go to patreon.com backslash hmn podcast anyway back in the little stuff of ours if by review you mean me quitting the podcast (laughs) hey hey bim us the way (laughs) Uh, anyway so i had this on vhs growing up i watched it religiously i think that this is where my obsession with women with weird voices comes from. <laughs> because Ellen Queen with her little tiny annoying voice is just so endearing. Is Adam Sandler in here? <laughs> <laughs> I loved you in Uncut Gems, Mr. Sandler. <laughs> oh, thank you. We don't have any much. Oh, yes. <laughs> See, gotta... Where did I do the movies? <laughs> That's just fucking Pennywise. <laughs> So, so my friends, they're not that funny. I can't do Adam Sandler. I don't know. No, what was that? Um, uh, clearly, we should have had Robert Bacon come back. So dude's watched every Adam Sandler movie. He's probably got Adam Sandler just pumping through those veins. <laughs> so I will say, we, we can talk about all the music, but I have to talk about two of the parts in this movie that still make me laugh. I know and one it, of them that makes me laugh, but I'll let you do them. The one is the lead into Dadu. Where he's like, oh, so you're saying that we just put some strange and unusual mm-hmm. plant in there and customers are just going to come yeah, I did watch. not know that was Christopher Guest yeah. until I watched this on um, Amazon. I re- This had 98 pieces of trivia. <laughs> Every single one of them. Just the performance of the, excuse me, I couldn't help but notice that strange and unusual plant. Where did you get it? <laughs> like, <laughs> But the other one that makes me laugh so hard is just watching Audrey make the funeral flowers. Yeah, she's throwing <laughs> glitter on him. I never noticed that either. I've watched this movie 50 <laughs> times in my life, easily. Most of them given were between the ages of 6 and 20, but god damn, it's so funny. It's so lazy how she does it. It's just like she sprays glue on it and just starts throwing handfuls of glitter on the floor. It just shows it's it's another example of the whole like, oh, I don't know how I don't have good taste in clothes like you do. <laughs> like, I have to wear slutty clothes, not like these nice clothes. <laughs> oh, man. Audrey is just so great. And Ellen Green is the only um, returning cast member from the off-Broadway version. Yeah, and she had a pretty good career outside of this, continuing to do like shows and movies where she had to sing, because she can sing like crazy. Like, she has a very high-pitched, annoying voice, but when it's time to sing, like, that girl can belt. I don't know how much of that's really her 
speaking voice, and that's how much something she's putting on. I, I really don't know. But I'm torn I, because it's the voice that she does in everything, but I'm not sure if that's like the same thing with Bobcat Goldflight, where he just got caught in like, this is yeah. my shtick, so I have to do this voice everywhere. Listen, she was basically Audrey in Pushing Daisies, so... I was going to say, she's so good in Pushing Daisies. Oh my god. Well, the Pushing Daisies is just basically an, ex- an excuse for her and Kristen Chenoweth to be themselves, you know? <laughs> I fucking love that show. You can hear about the first episode of that show on my favorite episode of a podcast that I produce. <laughs> you know what really pisses me off? The fact that you didn't ask me to do that episode. Look, it's the people who say, I want to talk about this. No, I don't... Yeah, I'm not going to nominate myself for your sister's fucking podcast. <laughs> I did. Anyway. I had to put my foot down. I was on twice and I didn't get to pick each time. Brian wrote, Brian had to write a review on iTunes saying, I love the show, but I wish Brian would get to pick movies. (laughs) What a fucking turd. Yeah, dude, they set me up for failure. They're like, oh yeah, so we have uh, Brian on. We're going to talk about uh, this Boy Meets World episode. So Brian, why is this your favorite episode of any show ever? And I'm like, well... It's not. I just I just came here. <laughs> I will say the other thing is like it's been 35 years since this movie got made and that puppet is still just as impressive to oh, me yeah. now as like when I saw it as a kid. Because puppets are great. Puppets are great. Computer graphics suck. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't disagree. You know, and and it's one of those things where um, there was some clickbait title that I saw on YouTube the other day and I didn't click on it because i i'm not really much of a youtuber um youtube watcher but it was something like is cgi getting worse and i i kind of was like yeah i don't need a youtube video to tell me that (laughs) it'd be great though if that video was five seconds long and it's just the guy going (laughs) yes yes it is and then it just goes to the next video it's gotta (laughs) be 10 minutes if you're gonna try and monetize and that's all youtube is about anymore anyway anyway um (laughs) we I the urchin girl group is so great in this. I just absolutely love them. I, I love in the the theme when they're walking across the street and they go, "Look out! Look out! Look out! Look out!" And then uh, because a car like you know almost hits them, it's just so so amazing. When I like that they're named, I like that they're all named after famous uh, doo wop girls. Yeah, groups. Chiffon, uh, Crystal, Ronette, and Chiffon. Two of them went on to be in Martin the TV show. That's actually lucky they got in. They they got on Martin. Why? Because a lot of those roles were taken up by Martin himself. Like I'm auditioning for uh, Martin's playing that. Oh, okay. Well, then I'll just audition for it. Yep, that's still Martin. Uh, can I be her? Yeah, sure. But Martin's runner up. <laughs> you know what's so funny is that I, I know that I'm not the target demographic for Medea shit, but <laughs> I feel like you know Martin did it first, right? Martin did it first, and Martin did it better. Wait, did Martin do it first or did Eddie Murphy do it first? I think I would say – I don't know. I would I say know. Eddie Murphy probably because of like – because he played a Night bunch Professor? of characters. No, I was going to say he played a bunch of characters in Coming to America. Mm. Oh, like, that's right. Yes, yeah. Coming to America yeah. 100%. Okay. Yeah. I was I was thinking Nutty Professor, but yeah, hundred Coming to America was way before – yeah, yeah, yeah. So back to the back to little shop, man. We are off on tangents. It's not my fault today. <laughs> Whatever, it's fine. People love tangents. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, I I love the costumes so much in this. They just it's so fun. It everything is just so fun. This was actually filmed at Pinecrest Studios in uh, or Pine Pinewood Studios in London. 
because it was at the time the biggest soundstage in the world. And then well, that's with that plant. Yeah. Well, it's not the plant. It's <laughs> God damn it, Matt. No, well, it's no because... I think you need the biggest one in order to fit a gigantic plant. No, no, no. Soundstage, Matt, like it was acres. They used it for oh. 007 stuff and they needed it because the entire Skid Row is a soundstage. So they, and that was on purpose because the production team wanted it to look surreal. Which I which I like because it's got like what I like about this movie a lot is that it's got this weird blend of it looks like an actual street while also looking like a soundstage at the same time. So mm-hmm. it's like this constant like what the movie should be. This this tug and pull of reality and fiction throughout the whole film is like in the visual aspect of it. Like cause it's like, hey, we're doing an off Broadway show as a movie it should feel a little off. Like it should feel a little off. <laughs> you should feel a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, it's, I, I think this movie is just so visually good to watch. Like I, this is like one of those movies where I could like, if I, if I was just trying to like watch something, I didn't want to listen. Like I could be captivated just from the visuals that I was looking at, even without any audio. But like, why would you watch a little shop and not just uh, sing it along with every song? That came yeah, out? it's true. <laughs> You know, I'm beginning to think he's not such a nice boy. <laughs> well, and then, like, we have to talk about the, the cameo, like, cameos for days in this movie. Yeah. But, like, I, the the first cameo that I had to write down was, like, I still miss John Candy so much. That dude like is so, such a... so very weird. <laughs> and the way he's moving the mic away from his, oh, my God, he's just such a ball of energy. In that they scene. were gonna have him be Mushnik. I think he would have crushed his Mushnik too, but I like the Mushnik. That he didn't want to be Mushnik. He was like, "You have anything else?" <laughs> yeah. Well, let me. I'm trying to think. When has John Candy played anything other than wholesome? Because even Great Outdoors, I would consider him wholesome. Yeah, like Great Outdoors mm-hmm. and Summer Rental. Like he's yeah. still grouchy, but he's like, uh, he's just he's trying to do good by the family. Exactly. Oh, nothing but trouble. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think I've seen that. Oh, um, dude. One day, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Matt's going to pick that this year. I, I really – I can't believe that we've been going for this long and he hasn't picked it because it's really Matt's shit. Yeah. I don't know if I actually want to watch it. That's the problem. If I picked it, it would be for that like contest that Brian pitched a while ago on Patreon. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for that. The other cameo that's near and dear to my heart because I played this role in my high school production of Little Shop. Oh, Park. you guys did. Oh, I'm so mad. I wish I had gotten to do it. Bill Murray as the masochistic ah. dentist <laughs> patient. And I will. You better believe that I will find my copy of Little Shop and film my performance. It'll be on a shitty VHS tape it off my TV, but I will post that on the group so you can see 17-year-old Matt's produ- performance as Bill Murray. <laughs> Back in the ska days. Back in the ska days. There has not been an end to the ska days. Yeah, I, I know. As soon as I said it, I was like, that was a mistake. <laughs> Is this your favorite Steve Martin performance? Because I know you're not Best a Best Steve Martin performance, fight me. Best Bill Murray performance, <laughs> fucking fight me. Oh man, I love it with that jet black hair and the de- like the just the whole Elvis slash dentist thing when he jumps off the bike and just throws his hands at it and it squeaks to a yeah. stop. Like, oh man, this is okay. I'm a dentist, or the dentist song is my favorite song in the film, and it was only made better by the fact that Megan took me for Valentine's Day a couple years ago to see a production of Little Shop 
up at Cleveland, uh, up in Cleveland at Playhouse Square. And so it was a smaller theater. I think that it maybe sat 300, it might maybe 200 people. It was a very small theater. And the urchins were, it was, it was a kind of, um, a reimagining of Little Shop. And so the urchins were like a garage rock three piece that played instruments on stage. And so they actually had to sing and play at the same time instead of like doing dance moves and shit. The guy who played the the dentist was so good. And the dentist has an extra song I didn't know about. Uh, if I remember correctly, that yeah, was just a, the gas. Yeah. He has a song about dying from the gas. Yeah. And I was blown away because I had was you know this is the thing i was thinking about because i was thinking about our swamp thing episode i'm a I, I i fucking love swamp thing but i don't think i have watched every single piece of swamp thing and read every single piece of swamp thing available i mean i love star wars but i i don't think i've seen this the one of the one of those two um ewok adventures i don't remember which one you know i don't think that i'm a completist about anything even if i say i'm a quote-unquote super fan i just don't like feel the urge to I don't feel like that need and there's nothing wrong with people who do feel that need I'm just saying like I always feel like I'm not a very good super fan of anything because I'm not a completist yeah and sometimes it just lets you down so talking about the different versions that you can see like Scott said he saw the the Cleveland performance I do need to give a shout out um because our good friend Joe uh saw last year Pasadena Playhouse did a production of Little Shop and everything that I've read about it sounds like it's a really interesting version of Little Shop. So he had told me about it because the actor who played Seymour was actually the the actor who plays Michael in Be More Chill. Be More Chill, okay. George uh, Salzar. But the things that they did that he thought were really cool and different was that they actually had MJ Rodriguez play Audrey, who's a who's a transgender performer, uh, which completely, if you think about the Audrey lyrics in Somewhere uh, Suddenly Seymour, they take on such a heavier level with that aspect. Mm. But instead of bringing a plant, they actually had an actress playing Audrey too. So she could like walk up and seductively like rub Seymour's face with her hands and stuff. Hmm. And he said mm. it was such an interesting version of it to like see the plant just played by a person in like a green leotard. That like it really like it it hinges a lot more on like how seductive the plant can be. Yeah, and we got to talk about the plant because um, as a kid, I was real confused about its gender if it yeah. had one. I mean, I guess that this is it's twenty twenty. Maybe this isn't like the best time to have this conversation. <laughs> but uh, I, I was in the eighties when uh, I was watching this shit nonstop. I was like, okay, so. Its name is Audrey, but it's got a guy's voice. I'm, but then it says I'm a mean green mother. I don't understand because yeah. I didn't know it meant motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was, and I think it like because Seymour continues to refer to Audrey too as her when he references the plant. So like, it is an interesting little dynamic there. Uh, we we did mention that there's another song in the play sung by the dentist about you know, dying from gas. Let's talk about the gas mask because the only thing that freaked me out in a movie when I was a kid in a movie about a giant plant eating people to survive was just the shot of Steve Martin with that gas mask dead with his eyes wide open. <laughs> really? It was super unsettling to me as a kid for some reason. That's so funny. This movie also like the songs. I didn't realize how quick the songs come. Like suddenly Seymour 
goes into supper time real fast. And oh, then yeah. Supper time goes right into Meek Shall Inherit. Like, it's like three in a row right there. And same thing with, like, Somewhere That's Green goes right into some fun now. Like, it really is just like song, 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 song. That has a lot to do, in my opinion, with the fact that this was off-Broadway because when you do, like, Broadway – there's no talking all the exposition. Yeah. Well, normally there's, there's no talking. It's, it's almost exclusively singing. Maybe there's talking while there's music revving up or something like that. And I think that that, that really leads to the more frenetic nature of everything. Yeah. 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 And I think that that also is a huge boon to watching this film and why me of all, why I of all people who get sick of watching a film, pretty fucking quick this movie has had at least as a kid you know like it had so much rewatch potential for me because of the fact that it's just like it moves dude yeah fucking moves and like think about it like this is a musical that is almost uh, like almost exactly 90 minutes where like most musicals just by the sheer volume of songs is like a two-hour performance yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. so let's talk about the big thing that we need to talk about is the uh, the lost ending the the quote unquote lost ending the sad ending? Mm-hmm. Um, so wait, Brian, have you seen the lost ending? Yeah, I actually didn't even finish uh, this movie today. You didn't have to. You've seen it many too, times. I've seen it so many times, and then uh, as soon as uh, as soon as he pulls Audrey out of the mouth, I just kind of turned it off. I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't finish it because it's not the ending that I watched on YouTube. And then Jim Belushi came in, and I was like, it's off. Turning it off now. <laughs> I got to see they remastered the ending and reattached it to the movie and did a special one night Fathom event screening where you could go to a movie theater and watch it with that ending. Really? So I actually got to see this in the like in a Regal Cinema like two years that's ago. Cool. Which I watched it like without sound and it was black. Yeah, that's the only version I've ever seen. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. The so if you buy Little Shop on Blu-ray, you can watch it remastered with the original ending on tack as like a director's cut. Like they they redid everything and it looks it like the puppeteering in the in the original ending is phenomenal. But the original ending is that when Seymour pulls Audrey out of the plant's mouth, she dies from the wounds from yeah. being eaten by the plant and asks him to feed her to the plant so that he can continue to have the success that he's always had, which is like arguably the saddest song is her singing somewhere that's green again as she's mm-hmm. being fed to a plant. Yeah. So that happens. But then Seymour still tries to kill the plant. We still get the big Mean Green Mother performance, which isn't in the original off-Broadway show. It was at it because they want it to be nominated for an Oscar. And the rules of the Oscar is that the song has to be written for the movie. So it can't be like you can't just like nominate memory from Cats because it's a big hit on Broadway. It has to be an original that you wrote. They do Mean Green Mother. But then when you know the building falls down... Seymour just gets eaten by the plant. <laughs> like, it's very anticlimactic. You're like, oh, he's just dead now. And then it shows that people keep buying these little Audrey 2s and they figure out how, like, if they feed it blood, it will give them success. And then it's just like a five-minute performance to a song called Don't Feed the Plants of the mm-hmm. plants just de- decimating the globe. And it ends with the plant, like, the original Audrey 2 literally eating through the screen and staring at the audience. And it's <laughs> insane. And people just said it was way too depressing and that they didn't like it because audiences suck. Yeah. Like what kind of fucking idiot is like, yeah, I, um, this is too realistic. Like this isn't fun <laughs> enough. I need to be entertained. 
Yeah, give me the ha- which I like that there's like the happy ending's not bad. I like. I hate. I, I, get I, it. I, I you know, as I've grown older, I really, really hate the the fact that. Yeah, she just got chopped and she got chewed in half by a plant. And then she's just fucking fine. Yeah, she's golden. <laughs> I will say that I I think in one sense, I get it. That like Rick Moranis and Ellen Green do such a good job in this movie that you really don't want to see harm come to them because they're so likable. So I get that. I get the test audiences not liking that they're dead. But it's a Greek tragedy. That's the whole – this movie is a Greek tragedy. Like the, the urchins are supposed to be the Greek chorus. Muses, yeah. Well, and then the flip side is like I love the sad ending because it makes Somewhere That's Green and Seymour's uh, verse in Skid Row all the more sadder. Because there's songs about how they just want to be anywhere but where they're at, and then they die in the place that they're stuck in. Like, it's just such a dour ending, and I kind of love it. Because musicals tend to have that, even if they are really upbeat. They tend to be really sad. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert, Hamilton dies at the end of Hamilton. <laughs> like, that- what? Who would have thought? Yeah, read a book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they kind of phone it in in the very first fucking song. And I'm the damn fool that shot him. Yo, do you think when they eventually do the film version of Hamilton, the test audiences will be like, we'd really like Hamilton to live, please, and move to a happy ending for Hamilton? I want to go and be a test audience just so that I can fucking say that. <laughs> you know, I, I have two things. I have a question, and then I have a piece of useless trivia. So my question for you guys, and it might be rhetorical, but it's just a thought experiment. So when the dentist gets fed to Audrey too. He's getting fed clothes and all. Like, you literally see one of his foot, feet, like one of his legs with the boot on go into Audrey's mouth. And all the newspaper and stuff. Like, so where do the bones and the non-digestible things like the leather boot, like, does the plant shit? Or is it like it can it can digest everything? Is it a is it a perfect creature where it can digest all all things? Yeah, it could just have a, a tummy full of acid. Yeah, he just... it's like the sarlacc. Yeah, yeah. The the piece of useless trivia that I think is incredible is that this was the most expensive Warner Brothers movie ever in by when it came out in 1986 at 25 million dollars, and the second most expensive movie that they had done was Aliens, and that was 18 million dollars. Jesus, so what's that? Six six or seven million dollars more than Aliens? <laughs> Seven million dollars more than aliens. Jesus Christ. That's awesome though. <laughs> Meanwhile, in New Jersey. So Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. <sighs> Um, and also the male gaze. My gaze at the males. Hi-o! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. We'll get back to our discussion on Little Shop of Horrors in just a second, but first we have to talk about this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. Longtime listeners, 
you guys know that there's nothing the Kelly brothers love more than playing with our phones when we're recording episodes. And Best Fiends has become my latest addiction. Beyond being a fun game, I found it a pretty relaxing experience. Turns out that connecting leaves and water drops and mushrooms to help a gang of insects kill evil slugs puts me in like a zen-like state. So engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. And now, back to the show. All right. All right, Scott. You pick this. What's your double feature, dude? I was thinking maybe Ghostbusters. Okay. Because, you know, Bill Murray's second best role. And also, uh, two years apart, right? Was Ghostbusters 84? Uh, Yes. And, and... Fun fact, the character of Lewis Tully, played by Rick Moranis, was originally written for John Candy. What? No way. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine that? That would be terrible. <laughs> Do you know how many times in my life I've been... <laughs> well, the original Ghostbusters was supposed to be just Bill Murray, Eddie Murphy, and uh, John Belushi. Eddie and then John Murphy? Belushi died, and Eddie Murphy didn't want to do it. It would have been really annoying to have him as uh, what's his face. Winston. Well, th- that Winston. was and Winston would have been a much bigger character in that case. But you needed a straight man. Yeah, that like was Winston, the thing. It Winston's out great so because he's the everyman. Like, yeah. Winston is an unsung hero of fucking Ghostbusters. Yeah. But if I was just picking another musical, okay, I would do the was it 2006 Hairspray. Okay. Because right. they both are like the ultra ultra surreal 1960s well and i think that it also works because they're both musical adaptations of campy original source material you know oh I mean? and I, I meant to ask you guys have you seen the original with jack nicholson original yeah it's not good I, I have no interest jack nicholson is like people are like oh with jack nicholson jack nicholson plays the bill mary character he's in the movie for about a minute and a half oh he's not oh see, oh, yeah, in the yeah. movie <laughs> like, okay but yeah, it's it's all right. I got it on DVD for Christmas one year, and I've watched it a couple times. But it's, I mean, Roger Corman shot it in two days just to prove a bet that he could make a movie in two days. So like, oh, Roger Corman, it's it's very lazily made. I forget what he was filming, but he was like, we can just reuse the sets and shoot a movie over the weekend, and they just like and shot they a movie did. real quick. <laughs> all right, Brian, what's what's your double feature? And I'm going to hope that you don't steal mine. So my double feature would be a perfect night for Matt Kelly, and Scott would oh, leave boy. early probably, but it, <laughs> we would start with the Little Shop of Horrors, and then Scott's yeah. going to say, "All right, I'm going to head out," and then me and Matt will watch Spaceballs. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Why did you Why didn't you pick Spaceballs when we were talking about? Oh, oh, that was that was fly too. <laughs> uh, you should have so, fucking double featured Spaceballs and Fly Two. That would have been yeah, a great one. That's the double feature. Uh, so I am going to pick the movie that I saw for the first time because when I saw the box art, I said, "Hey, sh- those look like Audrey Twos, The Deadly Spawn." <laughs> oh yeah, man! I fucking love Deadly Spawn. <laughs> it's too bad that we've already done an episode on that, or else I'd be like, "Hey, we should do Deadly Spawn." <laughs> Classic movie. Classic classic giant alien that looks exactly like Audrey 2 movie. All right, so do you guys have anything that you want to promote? Give a, a thumbs up to that you've seen in the recent weeks? Definitely not the Apple. 
<laughs> hey, hey, go to HMN Podcast on Patreon and listen to us talk about the Apple. <laughs> duh, 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 duh. I uh, listen to, because I probably don't think this is, uh, I think most of our demographic doesn't care about this, so we'll I'll, I'll leave it for the smaller of that demographic. I listened to Eminem's surprise album yesterday, and there's a song that I posted a clip of on Instagram that is just mind-blowing how fast he can rap. And although it's not a great album, I think this is a message to any artist. Surprise release albums. Because you get, I am more forgiving when it's like, I had no intention of having this gift. And then I wake up and it's a gift. You know what I mean? As opposed to like waiting months for like this anticipated album. Oh, Eminem's Um, dropping a new record on Tuesday. I can't fucking wait. And then just like, they're just like, surprise, you've got some Eminem. And you're like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's not how I would respond, but yeah, I get it. (laughs) And and here's the thing. Take it easy. I'm talking to you, Bono. There's one thing that surprised people. There's another thing to take up memory on their phone. Just being like, fuck you, take my album. You know, just leave it out there. And if we want to listen, we can. All right. So I'm going to actually bounce off something Scott talked about a couple weeks ago because I saw Underwater and it's probably out of theaters by now because no one's fucking seeing it. So you guys got to make up for it when it's available on streaming or something because that movie fucking rules. Go see Underwater. So fun. Oh, it's so good. I mean, don't expect a good like. Don't expect anything more than what it is. Like that's what I no. I don't understand. I disagree. I disagree with even low expectations. I think that January has been a dumping ground for horror, and this is like the rare exception where it is a visually and artistically well made movie. And uh, I'm gonna steal something that Elric Kane said on Shockwaves. But it's what I think is the best selling point of the movie is like in the past, aquatic horror movies are an hour of you dealing with meeting all of these characters and learning their backstories and having to care about these characters. And then you get like 20 minutes of excitement when like the catastrophe happens. This movie, the catastrophe happens in the first 90 seconds of the movie and it's just survival mode for an hour and a half. And Mm. that is so much better for getting you invested in these characters Because, like, I don't need to know their backstories. I just want them to survive. And you can show me their backstory while they're trying to survive. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I loved about it, too, is that it just I, I always like anything underwater almost exclusively has to have that like anything survival. It They're like, oh, I got to we have to have the interpersonal turmoil and blah, blah, blah. And I, I want to temper my previous statement about how CGI is getting worse because I think that it wouldn't have worked otherwise, you know, if they had done practical effects underwater in, in this. I think I think that them having it be brackish, well, not brackish water, but it's like really it, it, when you're seven fucking miles down all of the sediment from the the you know seven miles of water above you is gonna be just falling down like snowflakes and so i think that that really was a great use of that um that reality to you know make it look i think that they got a couple get out of jail free passes with the cgi because it doesn't have to look super realistic because it's dirty water all around him but i mean i i fucking loved it and i thought that the big bad was just oh amazing i had a feeling it was going to be what it was and when it showed up my jaw dropped just because it was so satisfying 
Yeah, no, it's it's solid. Uh, all right, so Scott, what what's your uh, you know we got Brian's M M&M. and M. I talked about underground underwater, underwater, which you talked about. So, what is your thing that you need to promote? You just got to get it out there. Um, there's this band called Erroneous that they're a tech death band that um, I really liked their first EP. But by EP, I mean it was like six songs, but still forty minutes long because you know. It's tech death, so most of the songs are, you know, way longer than they should be, but that's fine. It's it, You you do that because you love tech death. They have a new record that's supposed to be coming out soon. Apparently, it was recorded and finished a year ago, and then they got picked up by a record label who were like, yeah, we're going to put it out for you. But they're making us all wait until April or something? And just like leaking, like pissing out just a song every two months or something. And man, the songs sound great, but I'm not going to care about the record by the time it comes out, you know? Dude, Say Anything's latest album, they took a year to release and they released five singles before they released it. And they were the five best songs. It's so annoying when they do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Musicians listening, don't fucking do that. Like, I get Oh, I can't even remember who was. I think it was the guy from Thrice, Dustin Crenshaw, was talking about. It might have been him. I can't remember for sure. But somebody was talking about how with the way that music is now, uh, streaming and this and that and the other thing, you can just do singles. Oh, it might have actually been Jesse from Brand New. I mean, fuck that guy. But uh, this was before the whole that whole thing came out. Um, but I remember thinking that that was – I was like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. You You could just – put out singles and, and you don't have to put out records but as a musician and and re- someone who likes to record uh myself i feel like there still is a lot of importance in a record because it needs to be a movement and a thought and a you can't just piss out i mean unless you're making pop music like i guess lizzo could put out a song a month for a year and then it would be compiled into an album and I guess that'll be fine because she writes fucking pop music. But if you're writing something that has a little bit more to it and you're trying to tell a story um, or a part of your life, and I feel like Say Anything is so satirically autobiographical that you can't really do that. You know, it just doesn't it doesn't work for your product. Yeah, especially something that's supposed to be a sequel like that album. The whole point of that album was supposed to be a sequel. Yeah, and then they released uh, a bunch of random songs, and yeah, it just takes away from it. Like, and I think exactly what you said. Not even just like hip hop, but I guess like when you're doing something where like, like say anything, whether you like them or not, they're very good at orchestrating an album as far as like where to put certain songs and like Mm -hmm. to get you going. Like most of their albums if you listen to the last song on the album you would be like i want this to be an encore at a show right and and most albums the first song is like i want them to open a show with this you know mm-hmm. if you if you look at it across the board cuz it's like you're listening to a show um and then those are the cases and if you're not one of those bands instead of just releasing singles get better at orchestrating your albums I'm sorry. That was me. <laughs> that was Little Shop of Horrors from 1986. Tune in next week for the last musical 
of our little musical month. Uh, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a spadoinkle time, I think, personally. God damn it. <laughs> and, you know, check out our Patreon. Check out all of our social media. We started doing this thing that we probably should have done about five years ago. But if you look in the notes of the episode, there's links to all of our social media. So I don't have to ramble it all off like a maniac every time. <laughs> so go and check us, us out on social media and tune in next week for another episode of Horror Movie Night. Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and horror. We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and, oh, the practical effects. <sighs> um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males... Hi From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.